So I don't know how this will go over, but there's this prophetic urge and hopefully a prompting of the Holy Spirit just welling up in me, compelling me to say, well, my heart is moved with pity for the church today. So many people out there in the church feel very lost and kind of confused. They feel like they're uninformed, like they can't defend their faith. They feel uncatechized, maybe. Afraid, perhaps. Worried and anxious about where everything is heading. Maybe we even find ourselves a little bit angry or offended. Maybe we feel like sheep without a shepherd. Now, to be sure, we as the church have always struggled with sin, with heresy, with scandal, and with deep division. Things have always been very messy, so we can't lose sight of that. And I definitely don't want to stand up here this morning and just be all doom and gloom on you. Nobody wants to hear that, right? But still, the fact remains, for decades now, the flock of Jesus has become confused and divided over some very fundamentally important beliefs. And I want to be real with you. I don't want to lie to you. This moves my heart with pity and with sadness. There's some statistics out there. If you surf the internet and look at statistics about Catholics today, I don't know where they get these numbers, but I bring them to you and, and let you grapple with them and, and deal with them. Some stats suggest that close to 70% of practicing Catholics don't really believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. There's a 2016 Pew Research report that says that about 89% of Catholics just reject the church's teaching on contraception. In that same report, now five years old, and we know how much the world has changed even in five very short years, well over half of Catholics indicated that same-sex behavior and, and transgender transitioning was not only morally acceptable, but something to be actively celebrated. As of 2018, only about 39% of Catholics were going to Mass on Sunday with any kind of regularity. Statistically, Catholic couples cohabitate and engage in relations before marriage at the same rates as anybody else. We have Catholic politicians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who actually think that it is perfectly logical to vote for on-demand abortion and then turn around the next minute and demand, demand Holy Communion. None of us can demand Holy Communion. It's, it's an immense gift. As I mentioned in a recent homily a couple weeks ago, I think we all sort of feel inexplicably embarrassed about our faith. We either downplay our beliefs around friends and family, or, on the other hand, we might be way too obnoxious about it and push people away. Prayer and silence are often the first things we omit whenever life gets really busy, which is always. We will nervously keep track of how long homilies are going on for and how long mass runs, but we lose track of time when we sit down and watch Netflix or sit on Facebook. In short, 
we basically live our lives as if God wasn't really real. And thus, we end up not looking very much different from our unbelieving co-workers and neighbors. We just kind of blend right in into the secular landscape. And that tells me that something is wrong, that the church is sick. So what's happening? How did we get here? Well, the answer is obviously incredibly complicated. And nobody should place the full blame on any one single reason. But even so, I feel the need to apply the prophet Jeremiah's words from our first reading to today's predicament. Woe to the shepherds. Woe to those shepherds, those spiritual fathers who failed to speak up. Woe to those priests who misled or scattered the Lord's flock with hazy, muddled, mushy catechesis and irreverent liturgies. Woe to church leaders who just kind of blandly accepted the world's ideas as they came up with them, who mechanically went through the motions and pretended that everything was just fine. There's nothing to see here. We're doing okay. The church is running smoothly. Maybe they wanted to seem relevant. Maybe they wanted to seem merciful. Maybe they had the very best intentions at heart. But I think we have to look at the fruits. The flock has been driven away. And I I don't want to let myself off the hook here either. Because woe to me if I don't preach the gospel to you. Woe to me if I don't let people know that that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for absolutely everybody. He rose from the dead for absolutely everybody. He established a church for absolutely everybody. And that the scriptures and the sacraments and the doctrines of that church handed down by the bishops in union with the Pope are a beautiful, liberating, life-giving gift for absolutely everybody. So, where is everybody? Well, some are sadly very far from here, in heart, mind, soul, and yes, body. I hear over and over again from from wonderful, holy people that are striving in their faith that, that their children just don't come to church anymore. They don't believe in God anymore. And they're certainly not raising their kids to go to church either. Or maybe they say that that their kids do believe in sort of a vague God, but they certainly don't see any point in coming here to worship God in both word and sacrament. These stories are heartbreaking. They're sad. They move my heart to pity. And even with so many people thankfully coming back from this pandemic, from COVID, I hope and pray that we don't forget that there are are souls missing in our pews. Now, maybe all of this seems like sort of of a Debbie Downer to you. Maybe all of this feels like a buzzkill. Hey, Father Anthony, be more funny. Be more upbeat, right? Why, Why so negative? I come to church on Sunday to feel uplifted. What gives? Well, don't worry. I'm not up here just complaining for the sake of it. 
I'm only sharing any of this because I do love you and I want to learn how to love you better. At the end of the day, I just want the church to be the church. I just want you to love and worship God and one day be together in heaven. And as one of your priests, I am willing to do whatever it takes to give God's grace the room for that to happen. As a result, I just, I just can't bring myself to say that business as usual is good enough. There are way too many immortal souls, your souls, at stake. And so I feel forced to share, yeah, the bad news, the news that moves my heart and so many of the parts of my brother priests to pity. And that is risky, isn't it? Because nobody wants to hear bad news. Just look at our first reading. Nobody wanted to hear any of that from the prophet Jeremiah. Nobody wanted to deal with his laments, his warnings, his grief. People were annoyed by him. If they were at church with him, they would have walked out the front door. In fact, they threw him down into a cistern to try to get him to shut up. They ignored him and mocked him. But did any of that denial, any of that wishing for better news from the prophet stop the Babylonian Empire from eventually invading Jerusalem, burning down Solomon's temple, and taking the chosen people of God into exile? The answer is no. Disaster came, just as Jeremiah had warned. And I think today, a lot of us want to pretend that everything's going fine. We want to keep a big smile on our faces and, and believe an illusion of security. They, we don't want to hear about people leaving the church. Well, that's negative. That's bad. We, don't, we want to pretend that everybody just kind of automatically goes to heaven. We want to avoid any kind of dire prophetic warnings. We would much rather hear upbeat homilies with cute, sentimental messages about being a nice person. But now's not the time for sentimentality. If you ask me, now is certainly not the time to preach peace, peace. For as the Lord once said through the prophet Jeremiah in another place, but there is no peace. If there is going to be that peace that we all long for, that we have been promised, if there's going to be any peace at all, it's going to happen not by ignoring our problems or overlooking real issues or pretending that everything is going along smoothly when it's not. Peace can only happen if we all face Jesus together in trust of one mind. If we repent of our pride and our disobedience, and if we embrace the cross and really lean on him, really lean on his grace from the very heart of all of that bad news that's out there, the very worst news, that is the only way that we will ever hear and recognize the good news. As St. Paul teaches us in our second reading today, you who were once far off, 
have become near by the blood of Christ. We were far from God. That's bad news. That's the worst news you can get. That's separation from life and goodness itself. But now, through Jesus, we've been brought near. We've been forgiven. And that is really good news. That's the best news that you could possibly ever hear. We have been brought close to God by the blood of the cross. And so now, as St. Paul says, through him, through Jesus, we now have access in one spirit to the Father. G.K. Chesterton once said that Christians really don't want just a cold acceptance of the way things are. No, deep down, we want to be able to both heartily hate and heartily love. We want to be able to heartily hate everything that's wrong with the world, our church, our parish, our diocese, our own souls, so that we can really become holy, so that all of these things can really fulfill God's will. We only hate what holds these things back from being what they really truly should be, precisely because we love them. Perhaps Jesus' response to the crowd in our gospel passage this weekend, his response to all those people that were hungry, they were thirsty for the truth, they came to him. Maybe that response will help us to understand all of this in a deeper way. Because remember, Jesus had withdrawn with his disciples to a deserted place. They were looking for some peace and quiet, right? They were going on retreat. I'm going on a silent retreat later today, actually. It's all this week. And I ask you to please don't follow me, please. It worked for Jesus, but it won't work for me. So all these people show up, right, while he's on retreat with his friends. And how does he react with compassion, with deep concern? His heart was moved with pity for them, the gospel says. He acknowledges that something is missing here, that something has gone wrong with these people, that these people have been neglected, and that they are sick. But he does not respond with anger or with frustration. He does not vent in rage, not even against the religious authorities who had failed these people and led them astray. There is absolutely no trace of bitterness in Jesus' zeal. But he certainly doesn't pretend that everything is fine, either. He sees more clearly than anybody else that these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does he do? He begins to teach them many things. You are hungry to learn. I know that. I've, I've heard people say, I, I want to learn about my faith. I want to know why I believe what I believe. And, and we, your priests, want to teach you about loving God. And we want you to teach us about loving God. And together, we need to center ourselves on the one stable thing, the one thing necessary. Let's all point ourselves firmly towards the shepherd of our souls. Let's look to Jesus, the divine teacher. Look to Jesus, the way and the truth and the life. If he, the Lord, is our shepherd, then there's nothing that we shall want. 